It is extra time, Immaculate Grid. It is the bonus show for generations talking about my sports generations. Today is Baseball Grid 126 for Sunday, the 6th of August. If you missed it yesterday, the big show dropped at noon Pacific on Saturday, like it does every Saturday, where Steve and I talk about how the fan experience has changed over the generations. So yesterday we we're talking about rivalries, more specifically in college. So take a look at that. Also watch the five minute preview on wins above replacement, kind of tongue in cheek. Discussion between Steve and I, me trying to explain what Windsor Road replacement is and how it's used. So it's a five minute uh, tongue in cheek produced by our good friend RJ Vesiglia. So check that out as well. Yesterday was an amazing grid because it was all achievements and we shoehorned six giants in yesterday. But part of the discussion yesterday, before we get into today's grid, was Silver Slugger. Because that was one of the categories, Silver Slugger. And that was something that I knew was a relatively newer award, but it prompted me looking it up because I wasn't exactly sure when it started. I knew it was newer. I knew it happened during my lifetime, but I didn't know exactly when. But to kind of complete the... segment from yesterday silver slugger was introduced in 1980 and the concept was to award the best offensive player at each position and it was something that was voted on by managers and coaches so it was not an award that the baseball writers of america association of america was going to be involved this was being voted on effectively by former peers and coaches and managers. The one caveat is these managers and coaches cannot vote for their own players. So it started in 1980. Now you need to remember in 1980, we still had the DH specific American League and the National League pitcher still hit. So pitchers were awarded a Silver Slugger in the National League. A DH was awarded the award in the American League. Today, there are 10 total awards for each league, one for each position, one for DH, and then there's a new utility award that was introduced this year or this past year 2022 also in the nl during the covid year the shortened covid season of 2020 the nl gave a dh award then in 2021 went back to the pitcher so max freed would win the silver slugger in 2021 for a pitcher but then the DH was universally adopted in 2022 
and so no pitcher would receive the award last year. And Josh Bell would win that award in the NL for DH. So that's kind of the history of the Silver Slugger. So in 1980, the first year of the award, the recipients were as follows. First base, Cecil Cooper. So masher for the Brewers. We've talked about him before. Willie Randolph at second. I'd have to go back and check, but I'm assuming Randolph was a Yankee here. George Brett at third base with the Royals. Robin Yount, shortstop, of course, for the Brewers before he moved to center field. Then you have Ben Ogilvy in outfield. Man, I had to look at look him up. Like he was a masher. He hit he led the league in 41 home runs that year. Woo. Al Oliver. We've talked about Al Oliver before in outfield. And then Willie Wilson. Great Willie Wilson with the Royals as well. And then Lance Parrish, catcher. Ah, should have looked these up before. I'm gonna guess he was with the Rangers that year. Maybe he was Detroit. Have to look Lance Parrish up. And then, of course, Reggie, 1980, was still a Yankee, about to become an Angel. So that was 1984 Silver Sluggers in the American League. Then the National League, you had Keith Hernandez, who just come off his co-MVP season of 1979. Yeah. Manny Trio at second base, Mike Smith at third, Gary Templeton at shortstop. He was with the Padres. He was uh, part of the trade that sent Ozzie Smith to the Cardinal. You have Dusty Baker in the outfield. I'm guessing Dusty was a Dodger in 1980. Andre Dawson with Montreal, George Hendrick. In the outfield, then Ted Simmons, Cardinal, catcher, and then Bob Force, Cardinal. Now, Bob Force is from Sacramento. Bob and Ken Force. Ken is the older brother. They went to the same high school as my uncle. My uncle played ball against Ken um, in the Sacramento area. They're about the same age. So Bob and Ken Forsch are both Sacramento boys. Bob Forsch would win two Silver Slugger awards. He would actually win 20 games in a season, his second or third year in the league. He won a World Series with the Cardinals in uh, 82 over those Brewers. So those were the first, very first Silver Sluggers. And as we mentioned, Max Fried is the last pitcher to win Silver Slugger Award in 2021. And then in 22, with the utility player Silver Slugger, Brandon Drury, which I got to look that guy up. I don't, I don't even know who he is. So he won for the NL. And then uh, Luis Arias, but he's a Marlin now. So I don't know what team... He was on last year, but he won Silver Slugger in 2022. So I got to look these things up. I don't I don't follow these players from these. 
you know, non-National League West teams for the most part. So that is Silver Slugger from last year. So let's go ahead and attack the grid. We have in our columns from left to right, we have the Chicago White Sox on the left. We have Detroit Le Tigre in the middle for the Tigers. And the far right-hand corner, we have the Pittsburgh Pirates. We don't have a career achievement there this time, where yesterday we were all achievements, which was, excuse me, was super fun. So we like, I like the achievements better. Then in the rows at the top, we have the Tampa Bay Rays. We have the Brewers in the middle. And then on the bottom, we have All-Stars. So we've got a couple of highlights that we want to talk about today. So let's start in, because we're not really, no career achievement, we always like to attack those first. Let's just go left to right, top to bottom. So Sox in Tampa Bay, you know, Jose Canseco, I always used to call him Jose Cantrell. Um, growing up in Sacramento and in the Bay Area, East Bay, so we would get these car commercials because a lot of the local ball players, and I, I would imagine that it's still relatively true, but they would get sponsorship deals with local companies and there was a local car dealership that would have Dave Stewart and Jose Canseco. And the funniest thing about this one car commercial is that you have Dave Stewart. Now, Dave Stewart is not a small person. He He's a, you know, he's a big, strong looking dude but he had this very meek and mild voice and then at the time you know canseco had this very um spanish heavy accent maybe not so much today but back then he did and, and i'm not exactly even sure why it was as it was but in this commercial it was just so funny because it's you know they're going through you know what deals are happening at this particular car dealership and then you hear Stewart and of course this is a uh, <laughs> an exaggeration but it always seemed like Dave Stewart would say hey Jose where are you you know he's kind of has this Mike Tyson kind of voice for somebody as imposing and then Jose Canseco's like up here by the trucks and he's got this very Spanish heavy kind of accent and I don't know if it was done on purpose or if I'm just remembering it wrong but that that commercial always stood out to us as kids and we always thought it was a very odd commercial but Tampa Bay and Sox eight percent you know other than I couldn't come up with anything other than Jose here I couldn't even think of a single player I was like ah oh, I got Jose I'm going with, that's it. that's the only one that I know then for La Tigre and Tampa Bay, David Price, again, when you talk about Tampa Bay, there's just not too many players, especially anybody recent that I even know. But David Price, 27% for Detroit and Tampa Bay. And then the far right-hand corner, you've got Jose Batista, 1%. So Batista, the funny thing here is, and the only reason why I knew this, because I knew there was something funky with how he – was a pirate, became a pirate, was a Tampa Bay, and I didn't know all the specifics, so I looked it up. But so in 2003, Batista was actually a Rule 5 draft pick by Baltimore. 
from the Pirates. So they picked him off of the Pirates roster. And of course, with a Rule 5 draft pick, they have to be on your active roster for the entire year, or you have to offer them back to their club. Well, it actually ended up going to where uh, they put him on waivers, and he did not go back to Pittsburgh. And Tampa Bay would claim him off waivers, and he would play a handful of games for Tampa Bay. Then his contract was purchased just straight outright purchased by Kansas City. So then he goes to Kansas City. This is all still 2003. Then he's traded from Kansas City to the Mets for Justin Huber, who I don't even remember. I don't even know who that guy is. Then the Mets trade him back to Pittsburgh. This is still, you know, actually this is 2004. The Rule 5 draft was 2003, but all of this happened in 2004. So then the Mets trade him back to Pittsburgh with Ty Wigington for Chris Benson and Jeff Kepinger. And Kepinger, I want to say he might have been a giant for like two seconds. But he made this very circuitous route where the Pirates could have just got him back. They were his. He didn't stay with Baltimore. And then he ends up getting traded back. This is strange. So then he's with the Pirates and he has, you know, solid years, nothing spectacular, no home runs over 20. So then 2008, he's traded to Toronto for a player to be named later, a guy named Robinson Diaz. And Diaz plays 44 games in two seasons. That's it. So he's kind of like this lost, you know, I, I, I knew that, he kind of made the circuitous route. I didn't know all the specifics until I looked it up, but he was just kind of just out there and Toronto had him, but he goes on a tear six straight years with Toronto. He makes all-star team 2010. He finishes MVP four. He had leads the league in home runs with 54 leads the league in total bases with 351. 2011, he finishes MVP three. He leads the league in home runs with 43, and he leads the league in slugging at 608, OPS with 1.056, and then he leads the league in OPS plus with 182. He just goes on this tear. But before that, you know, he was just kind of bandied around for little to nothing. So it's kind of this good story of this guy that, um, you know, not a whole lot was expected, and then turned it around and once he got the opportunity. And then uh, many people probably remember the 2016. He slides hard to break up a double play in Texas. And uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but uh, Runed Odor, you know, smacks him, punches him right in the jaw, almost knocks him right clean out. But uh, he takes the punch. And uh, but that's Jose Bautista. So I went Bautista there for Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh. And again, I couldn't come with anybody else. I was it. That's all I had. Then in the middle row, left hand side, Sox and Brewers, Julio Franco. Um, that was just pulled it out. Had to look it up to confirm it. But Franco, you know, after he left the Cleveland's, he bandied around. You know, he was a he's a batting champion. Solid, solid guy. 
But, um, you know, I wasn't 100% sure, but I looked, I double-checked and looked it up. Julio Franco, 0.6%. But this is one of the guys I wanted to talk about. So right there in the middle square for Detroit Rock City and Milwaukee Brewers, Rob Deere. I mean, Rob Deere. Rob Deere was originally a Giant. And he would leave the Giants. He played on the Giants that lost 100 games in 1985. And he would not be with the Giants for the 86 home baby team. I think Rob Deere, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that he is, you know, an all-star caliber player. And he played in 11 seasons. And maybe that's, you know, what his prototype is today. Maybe it's a little bit longer. But I think with advanced metrics, we can appreciate Rob Deere a lot more than maybe we did then. He was a high strikeout guy, led the league in strikeouts, I think two or three times, three times. And, you know, he could mash the ball, but his averages were low. And, you know, if you look at him as base stats, maybe he wasn't that good. But then when you start taking into account how we play today, and you look at a lot of the platooning and situational hitting, I think Rob Deere, he might be a 15, 20-year player. So Rob Deere, 11 seasons, six seasons he had an OPS greater than 750. So 750 is kind of considered, you know, that mean. Anything over that, you know, you're considered to be positive, positive guy to your to your team, right? You're bringing something to the table. He would have an 884 OPS in 1992 with Detroit. He has a career OPS of 109. So he's 9% better than the average hitter during his career. It's not bad. And he wasn't like egregiously paid back then. So that I think that's the other thing is this is a guy that you can bring in that could be a positive force on your bench, start some games, situational hitter against lefties, and you pay him appropriately. And he's a contributing member to your team, and he could probably do that for a really long time. In that same 1992 season, he had 145 OPS plus. So he's 45% better than the average hitter that year. He had a 275 batting average with balls in play. He had a couple of years with 300 or better. So that means, you know, he strikes out a lot. He doesn't make a whole lot of contact. But when he does, he gets on base. He had eight straight seasons of 21 or more home runs. He had two with 30 or more, 33 in 1986 and 32 in 1992. So Rob Deere was just, you know, I remember looking at his baseball cards back when and just like, man, how's this guy in the league? But with advanced metrics and a different lens and a different view, you know, is he Darren Ruff? Is he Max Muncie? Is he, I don't know. I mean, Ruff, I don't think is in the league right this second, but I mean, he contributed a couple of good years with the, with the Giants, was solid. Coming off the bench, situational hitter. You know, is he that guy? Is is that Rob Deere? Rob Deere struck out a lot for back then. So in 1986, he had 186 strikeouts. 
That was the third highest strikeout mark until 2000. And then Preston Wilson would strike out 187 times. And then four years later, Adam Dunn. And then, you know, things went crazy. He's now like 40th or something or 45th on the list. So from 1986 for basically 20 years, he effectively stayed third. And the guy who holds first and second is the same person. It's Bobby Bonds. He had 189 strikeouts. In 1970, he had 187 strikeouts in 1969. But Rob Deere, I don't know, maybe maybe we think of him differently today than we did back in the you know early 80s to early 90s. So Rob Deere, 4%, Latigre and Brewers. And then Brewers and Pirates, Dan Plesek. You see him on uh, MLB Network. He was uh, a pretty good closer for Milwaukee, left-hander. And then he just became that left-handed specialist, left-handed guy off the bench, reliever. So 0.7%. Then for Sox and All-Star, you know, I was just trying to be super, super sneaky. I just went early. I just figured here's a guy, long time. And then um, let's skip over to the far right hand, our all-star and pirate, Dave Parker. We're going to spend some more time on Parker. We've used him quite a bit. He played for a lot of teams. But from the mid-70s to late-70s, Dave Parker might have been the best player in all of baseball. And we'll get into that in a different, different episode. But Dave Parker... Man, you go back. He was he was amazing. And then he lasted a long time. A long time. And I hated him when he was on the Reds. Man, when he was on the Reds in the mid-80s, the late 80s, with Eric Davis. Pete Rose was player manager. Um, yeah, I just hated Parker. But overall, I came to appreciate him after he started going to some other teams. But, man, that guy could just hit. And he had an arm. And was a very good defensive player earlier in his career. And he was fast. He could steal bases. So in those, you know, maybe for a four or five or six year period in that, you know, mid-70s to late-70s, early-80s, he possibly was the best player in all of baseball. But let's go to the middle bottom. So Detroit Tigers, all-star. And we talked about him a little bit the other day, and we didn't really get into it a whole lot. Lou Whitaker, longtime second baseman for Detroit. He comes in at 3%. Lou Whitaker possibly has the highest war of any player not tied to steroids and who is not currently eligible because either they're still playing or they haven't been retired long enough. The highest war that's not in the Hall of Fame. And he was a second baseman, which is even more, you know, creates a little more scarcity. So he has a war of 75.1. Also, we should note, we talk about war on this show quite a bit. But just so that everybody knows, we're using baseball reference war. I don't have a preference. I don't care if Fangraphs war, baseball reference war. We're using a baseball reference game. 
when you press on it, it links to all the player profiles. So I'm using B war, not F war. And it's not like I care one way or the other. They're fairly similar. And we're going to talk about this probably sometime with Steve. We'll just confuse him more. But, you know, F war is slightly different, especially when you start taking ultimate zone rating from a defensive perspective versus defensive runs saved. Ultimate zone rating. You know, you need a few years of data to normalize it. So players that are three years and earlier or less than three years in the league, ultimate zone rating isn't very positive for them. And then for defensive runs saved, you know, you're using that collectively against the rest of the league. So it might make some if someone's a defensive superstar it's possible that it kind of mutes their contributions potentially so there are the statistical anomalies related with the two again we've talked about that on this show and on the main show war is not the you know know all tell all see all it's a, just a good benchmark tool but just to be clear we use B war when we're talking about war on this show. And again, it's not because I have a preference for either. And fan graphs, if you read a lot of different things, seems to be the one that people like the most. But, um, you know, we're using B war, just so you're aware. So B war, he's got the highest B war of a player not in the Hall of Fame. That's not linked to steroids. That's not currently eligible because either A, they're still playing or B. You know, they just haven't been retired long enough. So he and Kenny Lofton, you know, we kind of stumped for Lofton a couple of days ago. So go back and listen to those shows. We go into these different players and we talk about some of these statistics and some of these, um, you know, cool little facts about each of these guys. And um, we're trying to pick different players each time. So if you look in the description of each of these, I kind of put the players that we talk about and we highlight. So that's a way for you if you want to hear about some of those players, a way to uh, filter through each of the episodes. But we are posting the Immaculate Grid, the Extra Time episodes each day. These posts at by 9 p.m. Pacific time every day. But back to Whitaker. 75.1 war, 19 seasons. Highest war of any player, as we talked about, that's not in the hall. He's rookie of the year in 1978. He's a five-time All-Star, three-times Gold Glove, won a World Series in 1984. He has an OPS plus, career OPS plus of 117. So he's 17% better than all the other hitters against his respective years that he's in the league as a second baseman. So this is a time when second base, if you were getting anything out of your second baseman, that was just cherry on top bonus and this guy did it for 19 years and he was super super solid and had a handful of years where he was really great he has a career ops of 789 so for guys that are already in the hall of fame that he has an ops greater than his ops is greater than cal ripkin jr is greater than ted simmons and we mentioned Ted Simmons earlier today. We've mentioned him before. Ted Simmons, for a very long period of time, was probably the best catcher in the National League. And a lot of people 
revere him for, you know, he's a longtime Cardinal, but, um, you know, he's thought of very highly by a lot of folks, if you're not familiar with Ted Simmons. His OPS is greater than Gary Carter, right? So Gary Carter, Montreal Expo, New York Met, spent two minutes with the Giants. Gary Carter, catcher, rest in peace. He has an OPS greater than Robin Yount. We've talked about Robin Yount a ton. His OPS is greater than Robin Yount's. And then here's the telling piece. His OPS is greater than his own double play partner, Alan Trammell. And Trammell's in the hall. I think it's time to get Lou Whitaker in. Lou Whitaker's war is greater than Trammell's as well. Trammell's is 70. In one more season as well. So, you know, is this a... I hate to even suggest it, but is this something because Trammell, you know, white guy? Whitaker should be in. Make it happen. And then the other guy that a lot of people may know, longtime Oriole, Brooks Robinson. His OPS is greater than Brooks Robinson. And I'm not suggesting those guys should not be in. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you're going to create a measuring stick and somebody compares favorably on that measuring stick, well, what's the problem here? Why, why is this guy not in? He's got the credentials. He's got the hardware. He spent his entire career with Detroit. That's a big that's a big thing right there. 19 seasons in Detroit. And that was even at a time when, you know, t players were not sticking around, right? They were free agency was going, so a lot of players moved around, so not all players stuck with the same team. There's only a few examples from that era. Tony Gwynn, Trammell, Whitaker, George Brett, so there aren't a whole lot of examples, right? Those are still the, at this point in time, these are the exception, not the rule. So I think Lou Whitaker, it's time for him to uh, get some better consideration and the uh, Veterans Committee get, get Whitaker in. Him and, him and Lofton. Let's go, let's make this happen. So Whitaker at 3%. So that's the grid. 126 for Sunday, the 6th of August. This is extra time. This is Immaculate Grid for generations. Talking about my sports generations. Listen to this show every day, drops at 9 p.m. Pacific, and the big show every Saturday at noon Pacific. We'll see you. Everyone have a great week. Take care.